Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All righty. Thank you, David. Well, hello. I am freshly back from uh, Arizona. I had a great trip to Arizona. Have you ever been to Arizona? What a cool place. Uh, all right, so we went out this last week. Uh, we went to um, first the NASCAR championship race, which is super cool to me. Uh, anyway, went and saw that. Uh, had pit passes. That was also cool. Uh, not to brag, but haha. Um, and then... Uh, in addition to that, we had a friend getting married out there, a friend of the family getting married out there. And so I've been to Phoenix a bunch. Uh, I go to spring training uh, quite often because I love my Royals. They're out in Surprise, Arizona, which is right there in the Phoenix area. And uh, that's been great. But uh, I've never really kind of driven through Arizona. And so this time, because of the wedding, we left, we drove north. And, um, and then, at least I think it was north, I don't know, I was on a road. And then I drove, uh, and then we ended up in Sedona, so let me tell you, if you're going to Arizona, you've got to drive to Sedona. Like that is like, that's where you get those epic Route 66 kind of, you know, the big mountains, the big red mountains kind of up there like that. And then we we're like, well, okay, well, while we're here, why don't we drive on up to Flagstaff, spend the night there, and then go to the southern rim of the Grand Canyon like the next day. So we did that. So we had these amazing uh, landscapes. And then, so the next day we go to the Grand Canyon. Now the Grand Canyon, like going up to it, it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like you're just driving through the Western, you know, country. You're just like, okay, where's this Grand Canyon you talk so much about? Uh, and then you get to the Grand Canyon National Park and you drive in. Again, just very normal landscape. And then you get out. You're at the visitor center. They're like, well, it's over there. You're like, well, let's go see this thing you're talking about, you know. So then you walk down this path and then you come out and then, bam, you're like, go oh. It is amazing. You're like, oh my goodness, like driving up here, I had no idea. And we were just thinking like, what would the early cowboys have thought as they're just riding across the West and then suddenly come to this and like, ah, wow, oh my goodness, what do you do? Uh, it's amazing. So the Grand Canyon, if you haven't been, we went to the South Rim right by Flagstaff, totally worth it, totally worth it. But I will note one thing, it is very unsafe. It is, it is like so dangerous there. Like they, you know, they do not, if it was me, I would fence in the whole thing just to keep people like me away. Uh, because what they do is like, like, this is the edge of like, and when you look down, I mean, it's, it's down. It is like, you could fall and have a conversation for several minutes on the phone. Like, I've made a horrible mistake. I'm plummeting to my death. Um, yeah, can you tell mom, put mom on, like you would have time for a whole conversation. So it's a long way. Um, and then, but like behind that, they put these safety rails, right? And so you have the safety rail where you're not supposed to go. Then on the other side of that is, and it is like, you can tell it is trodden upon, like everybody has been unsafe. Uh, I too was unsafe. And so <laughs> you're on the outside and you're looking at this thing. They had this one rock though that kind of jutted out over every, and it was like, there's nothing underneath that rock. It is just a, a rock ledge out over, and there are butt prints on the rock where people have crawled out and sat down with their feet dangling. I mean, listen, I'm a fool, but I'm not that big a fool. Like, I'm going to meet Jesus in his time. Um, so, but I saw that, and it's kind of one of those where just even getting, like, you're, you're four feet away, and you're like, <laughs> like, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, like, it's just that, it's that scary. But we had a great experience. Uh, overall, I had a lot of fun. Totally recommend it, by the way. And if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, when you're looking around there, you can't help but think, man, what, what I wouldn't give for a few hours on a motorcycle just to ride around here and enjoy this uh, scenery. But beautiful stuff. Uh, totally loved it. But let's go back to the wedding for a second. So I love weddings. Uh, I go to a lot of weddings. You've been to a lot of weddings. Many of you have probably been in a wedding. Um, and so weddings, I'm, I'm just struck by always. They're like two different experiences for both the men and the women who've been asked to be involved. So if you're a guy and you're asked to be in a wedding, you probably rented a tux, rented maybe even the shoes. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it costs you a little money, 100, 200 bucks, you're out, you're, you're moving on. But the people that really have a hard time are the women that get in, invited to be in a wedding. Like, you do, there's a time in your life where you don't want to be a popular girl um, because you're going to be asked to be in everybody's wedding and they rarely will pay for you. Uh, what they really do is they say, hey, like, I'm about to go through this really important day in my life. Would you like to spend $500 to show you're my friend? Um, and so you, if you say yes, you know, you got to go buy the dress, you buy the shoes, you got to get your hair, your makeup done, like all this kind all this expense for a dress you will never wear again. It, it's just going to be shoved in a closet. Like you just hope they have some decent taste so you can repurpose the dress and use it again elsewhere. Otherwise it's going to end up in the closet. Now like the dudes, we're great. We're done. That suit's gone back to the cleaners. We're, we're out of here. Uh, but ladies, you're stuck with it. But there is one item that, that while most of the people aren't ever going to wear that stuff again, there's one item that two people will be wearing for the rest of their lives after that ceremony, and that's the rings. And we're going to talk more about that in the context of what I'm going to talk about today, which is baptism. Uh, baptism today is going to be both about ownership and identity. Baptism is about ownership and identity, and very much will connect to the idea of a wedding ring, uh, which we hope to get to later. So first, I want to start off by saying thank you to Pastor Chris Ledley. So Pastor Chris taught last week on the ordinance of communion, the ordinance of communion. And now I'm sure he explained all this stuff to you, but I haven't yet listened to his message, so I don't know. So, uh, but I will say this, that uh, an ordinance is a Christian rite. That's R-I-T-E, a Christian rite. If you don't know what a rite is, a rite is a ceremonial act. Uh, so an ordinance uh, is a Christian rite associated with tangible elements, such as water, bread, and wine. And I would even say that, um, that a wedding is also an ordinance. Um, so uh, these are celebrated by the Church of Jesus Christ. The term is closely associated with the word sacrament. And a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. That's just, I love the, the turn of phrase there, that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. Uh, and for this definition, I want to give thanks to uh, the Gospel Coalition. Um, there was an essay written by Greg Elysian or something like that. <laughs> this is his last name. I, I figure nobody knows him, so I can say whatever. Uh, but anyway, did a great job talking about this. So here's, here's how this is. When I was in seminary, a professor said this, I love that God has given us tactile theology. Tactile, like stuff you can touch, taste, smell. This idea that, that it teaches these deep, eternal truths through an activity you get to go through, whether that is communion or baptism or even a marriage ceremony where you're learning these deep truths through an event that you can participate in. Um, and so it, with that in mind, let's talk about this one today, the, the baptism one. So baptism is an odd ceremony if you didn't grow up in the church. Like if you grew up in the church, you've seen this before, you're aware of it, you kind of get it. If you didn't grow up in the church uh, and you see this person come up in front and then we shove them into a tank of water, pull them out and everybody claps, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm seeing here. This is kind of goofy. So uh, we're going to hope before it's done today, nobody will think it's goofy. So the idea of baptism historically as a word, as a meaning, uh, has to do with the idea of being immersed, immersed in water. Now, one of my earliest Greek professors uh, told me that uh, his understanding was that the history of the word baptize comes from the textile industry where they would take like a white sheet of cloth, they would uh, immerse it in a dye, they would bring it out, and it would be a different color. 
And his comment was, the early church saw that and was like, that is brilliant. We're going to use that uh, because it's exactly what happens when we become a believer, that we were one thing. And then now having been immersed in Christ, we emerge as something different and it forever defines us. So that's what baptism is supposed to be about. Now, in the early church, as the church was forming, little churches were being started uh, all over the place. Our church fathers, and when we talk about the church fathers, we're talking about the earliest uh, collective leaders of the church, uh, realized that there were a lot of young ministers out there that didn't kind of know what they were doing. And so they put together uh, a book of teachings for them to lead their churches. Now, uh, the teaching they put together and what was compiled together was something called the Didache. Uh, it's spelled like Didache, which I think is a cooler way to say it, but uh, the Didache. And so um, the Didache has all sorts of instructions in it, but in chapter seven, they have some instructions concerning baptism. We'll put some of those up here for you. Uh, so this is a portion of teaching from the Didache. Uh, concerning baptism, uh, baptized this way, having first said all these things, all right, we're picking up mid-paragraph so you don't see it all. Having first said all these things, baptize into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we're going to do based on scripture that we'll look at here shortly. Uh, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in living water. All right, living water. So living water. So this over here, this is not living water. <laughs> this is dead water. So living water has living things in it. So the prescription in the early church that was that you were supposed to be baptized in a stream uh, or a lake or a pond. Um, that's just what they did in the early church. So that was living water. But if you have no living water, which we don't, then you can baptize into other water. So this is other water. And if you cannot do so in cold water, do so in warm now, I just want you to know, they said, we want it to be cold. Like, we want them to know they've been baptized. Uh, so when um, we had a trip to go uh, to Israel a couple years ago, I baptized people in the Jordan River. And uh, as a baptizer, when you're doing the work, uh, they give you hip waders. And uh, so you just walk out. If you've ever worn hip waders before, you just kind of walk in. You can feel it all press against your body. And I could tell. That water was cold, and I didn't have anything to do. But then the other people who were coming to get baptized, including uh, my kids and stuff, um, they, they walked out into the water. And it's one of those where you put your, first put your foot in the water, and it's just icy cold. And you're like, you know, like, do I? And then, so you, then you put the other one in. But the, but the thing is, as you keep going, you know, it works its way up. And you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know. Like, and you get to that experience. And then when you're getting baptized, you know. You're going all the way under before this is said and done. And so when you got baptized in the Jordan, you know you've been baptized. Uh, so the Didache was saying like, hey, we should do that. Uh, all right. We, however, have warmed our water. But, all right. So, but if you have neither, this goes on to the teaching. But if you have neither, pour out water three times upon the head into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let the baptizer fast and the baptized and whoever else can but you shall order the baptized to fast one or two days before. So this is literally what they would do. And we don't, we don't do it this way anymore. And the didache was, you know, a, a general instruction. It wasn't, you know, of the scriptures per se. But um, the idea is this. In a smaller environment, we would say, okay, hey, listen, guys, this weekend, we're going to be baptizing this person or these people. And because this is very serious, uh, I'll, be, I'll be fasting for a couple of days before I baptize them. They're going to be fasting a couple of days before they're baptized. And we want to invite you as the church to fast a couple of days before we baptize them. And, and the thought would be, this is a very serious thing. It's celebratory, but it's very serious. So with that in mind, let's all take it very seriously. 
And I guarantee you, you go a couple days without food <laughs> and you're reminded of just how serious uh, this thing is. Um, now, we don't require that anymore, so maybe we've gone soft on baptism. Uh, but I think the idea is there. Let's just take it seriously. I had a professor once ask me uh, when I was back in seminary, do you think baptism is optional according to the scripture? Do I think baptism is optional according to the scripture? Do you think baptism is optional according to the scripture? Well, whenever somebody asks me that, my next thought would be, well, what does the scripture teach? What do we see in scripture? Which is the right question to be asking. And you might look at Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, often quoted in this church, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples, and I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them everything they need to do to, to follow me. And so this is the prescription. And so then if we say, well, how did baptism come to be? Jesus brought it to us, right? It was, this is something Jesus was doing. Um, so then Jesus commands baptism. Baptism's command of Jesus. And so this is something we're supposed to do. Uh, I don't think anybody in the early church would have ever thought that somebody would be having a question of, can I be saved but not be baptized? Like for them, they just went together. Like if you're getting saved, you are getting baptized. To do otherwise would be disobeying the Lord. Uh, we don't want to disobey the Lord. I mean, what a, what a crazy thing for those who say they want to follow him. And so this is something we're supposed to do. And so therefore it connects to this next question. Since Jesus commands baptism, is it required to go to heaven? It's a great question. It's a great question. If, if I'm supposed to do it, Jesus told me I'm supposed to do it. If I don't do it, does that mean I don't get to go to heaven? What are the rules there? Well, let's look at some scripture this morning. So uh, one of the scriptures we'll look at is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In fact, I've seen this on a license plate before where somebody will just put on there Acts 2, 38. Uh, this is the scripture. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you took this as a prescription, repent be baptized, and when you do these things, then you receive the Holy Spirit. So it sounds like that's the formula. Like if you want to go to heaven, you'll repent of your sin, you're going to be baptized, you're going to believe in Jesus, right? Um, and then you'll receive the Spirit. That's what it sounds like. Oh, I know. I know. That's a mishandling of the Scripture. I'm going to get to that. Um, uh, bad hermeneutics always breaks my heart as well. I just want to point that out. So uh, we do need good hermeneutics. So, so here's how hermeneutics works. Hermeneutics is the technical term that has to do with the proper understanding and application of Scripture. And the way we have to do it is you look at the whole of Scripture, and then these individual sections make sense, and then you can make sense of what's going on there. Because if you take them in isolation, you're not going to come to a full understanding, which is the danger with Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which in that instance seems to make salvation like a cake mix. Like, uh, you know, faith is good, but until you add water, it's not sufficient. And then I would just ask, do you really think salvation is a cake mix? Um, let's look at some more scriptures before we come to a determination. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, some, somebody might look at that and go, well, it says there, whoever believes and is baptized. Yeah, no, note the last part of the verse. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The emphasis is on the belief. 
The baptism just happens to be connected to that. And here's the reason that it's connected to that. In the first century, baptism and salvation were so closely connected, you would never have disassociated the two. It would be like, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Oh, well, then, you know, you're, you're baptized, because that's just what we do. Uh, so, like, in the first century, you could have have a, had a conversation like this with somebody. Somebody could have come up to you and said, uh, do you believe in Jesus? And you could say, oh, yeah, I was baptized in 38. So, like, that would be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, So, they're just so closely connected. You just didn't separate the two. So, they're often mentioned in Scripture, connected. But we know that a full understanding of Scripture shows us that the, the baptism is not a part of the salvation experience. It's subsequent to it, uh, and it's something we do in obedience to what Jesus has prescribed. So, we're going to look at a number of those Scriptures now. And here's one of the struggles. I'm going to give you some great passages today, but we just can't... We can't unpack them all thoroughly. Um, and this is one of the things with topical preaching when you're jumping to passage to passage, you're missing some of the great flow of the context. So just take notes and then go back and read these passages later. One of those that you'll want to read is Acts chapter 10. I love Acts chapter 10. Uh, and so let me just set it up for you. In Acts chapter 10, uh, you're introduced to the centurion named Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius is this God-fearing Gentile who he's studying the scripture, he gives away money, he's loved by the Jews. Uh, like They're like, this is a good guy. He's really seeking the Lord, and he is seeking the Lord. Um, so he's over here seeking the Lord, and uh, the Lord appears to him, has an angel appear to him one day, and says, hey, listen, I want you to go find Peter and invite Peter to your house. Here's where he's staying. So he receives this vision from the Lord. So he's like, oh, uh, okay. So he's like, hey, go get Peter. So in the meantime, Peter is over here at his house, or he's actually staying with Simon the Tanner. That's a different thing. So he's, he's staying at this house. And so he goes into this prayer moment, and while he's having this prayer moment, the Lord meets him in prayer and gives him this revelation. And without telling the whole story, I'll boil it down to say, uh, the Lord basically says to Peter, don't call anything unclean that I say is clean. And so Peter's like, I mean, all right, <laughs> but like, I don't know, I don't know what you're trying to teach me, Lord, but okay, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, while he's having this experience, there's a knock on the door. Hey, uh, we've come for uh, Peter. We need to talk to him. Uh, he's being sought out by Cornelius. Uh, we want him to come talk to us about the Lord. And so then the message comes to Peter. Hey, this, uh, these people want you to come talk to this uh, Gentile about the Lord. And then Peter's like, oh, I, I get the, okay. Yeah, normally, because I would think the Jews are like the special and God is showing me nobody is special. Only those who are his people are special and they could be from any background, any nationality. So he's like, all right, all right. So he goes, so he goes to this uh, house of pagan Gentiles and uh, he's sitting there uh, talking to him. He's like, all right, well, what's up? And they're like, well, you're, God said you'd tell us uh, about him. So we're just here to listen. And so Peter's like, oh, Oh, okay, well, then let's talk about Jesus. And so, so he just goes in preaching about Jesus. And when he starts preaching about Jesus, they believe. And as they believe, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them in such a dynamic way uh, that what happens is they break out in the speaking of tongues, which in the early church was a very common thing, uh, less common uh, in many places today, but back then, a very common thing. And, uh, and then Peter steps back and he's like amazed at what he sees. And then he makes this comment that we'll read about in Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So what we see in this moment is these people have stepped into salvation, not yet been baptized. They've stepped into salvation because the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And that is the evidence of salvation, which uh, reflects the scripture as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. The apostle Paul writes, in him... This is Jesus. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. So the evidence of salvation is not the baptism, it's the belief, and then subsequent to the belief, you are filled with the Spirit of God. Those are instantaneous things, belief and salvation, uh, belief and, and the Holy Spirit's filling, those come back to back. Baptism, baptism is something we do subsequent to that. Uh, here's another place we see this. And this, I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite places in Scripture where I see this. Now, I just say that about a lot. I love everything in Scripture is my favorite, right? I have 66 favorite books in the Bible. Um, and so this is one of those. But in Luke chapter 23, in Luke 23, you get this beautiful picture of the crucifixion of Christ between the two thieves. Uh, now, it's a sad, sad moment, uh, but in salvation history, epic and so important to us. Uh, so here's Jesus being crucified. If you remember the story, they've taken him off to be crucified. He's being crucified between two thieves and this event occurs. And so I'm going to read it for you. This comes from Luke chapter um, 23. I'll start in verse 32 to give us some flow and context, and then we'll see what happens there. Luke chapter 23. So two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they were uh, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, we learned some incredible theological truths just in that transaction that took place there. So here are these thieves. You got two different thieves. One making fun of Jesus, mocking him. The other, like, suddenly realizes, I'm an idiot. You know, like, I have messed up my whole life. I deserve what's happening to me right now. This man's done nothing wrong. So he comes to his defense, and he says to him, Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? That's all he says. He didn't say, would you please forgive me for my sins? He didn't say, would you take me with you? Can I go with you? He doesn't say, I deserve, like he doesn't say anything. Just, would you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? But Jesus' response is so weird because he says, I tell you this day, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, how can that be? Because he clearly didn't pray the sinner's prayer right? He did not say, okay, there's four parts to this prayer, starts with this, then I got to confess, then I got to ask, then I got to submit, like, oh, there's like all these parts. And Jesus didn't even lead him in the sinner's prayer, which maybe Jesus didn't know the sinner's prayer. Uh, like, that could be fair. And, uh, and like, Jesus is going to lean behind. But, but let's talk about what happened in that moment. In that moment when he says, Jesus, will you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? Here's what's going on. He believes this is the Christ of God. He believes, that's, that's just what, he just believes in him. And he's not asking for rescue. He's just saying, hey, when you get to this glorious, wonderful place that I will never see, even I don't, I don't, I'll never see it and I don't deserve to see it. When you get there, would you just think of some of the little people uh, left behind who didn't deserve to go? 
And so when Jesus turns, he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. It is like, like, how, what, how can that? And it just reminds us that belief is the only thing required. Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believe in the Lord, you can be saved. Uh, you don't have to have the magic, <laughs> magic words. Now, there's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is often just an expression of faith. Um, but that's what's going on here in this moment, this beautiful picture. I actually hate to leave that story to, to move on, but I have other stories I want to move to. Uh, there's another one where uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's traveling with a guy named Silas, and they cast a demon out of a woman, and it gets them in trouble. And when they get uh, in trouble, they get arrested, and they get thrown in jail. Uh, so they're thrown in jail. This is a story of this um, Philippian jailer here. Uh, so uh, they're, they're thrown in jail. As they're in jail, God springs them one evening. So they're praying, they're praising. The doors pop open. Jesus springs them from prison. Uh, the jailer feels like all of his prisoners have gotten out and that he's going to be killed now because uh, of a dereliction of duty. And so he's thinking about actually killing himself. And so Paul runs out. He's like, hey, hey, don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Everybody's still here. You don't have to die. Uh, and then the man is struck. And he's like, oh, my goodness, this is real. All this stuff is real. And then this is what happens, Acts chapter 16. Uh, then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. All right, now, so some other stuff going on here. For one, he just says believe. Just, that's all you gotta do. Just believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, but then he makes this other comment, you and your whole household. Does this mean then that if you profess faith in Christ, everybody in your family gets saved as well? Now, there are some things in Scripture, it's just like the whole baptism, salvation, confession thing, like there's some things in Scripture that are expressed as normative, but not in each and every case all the time. This is one of those. It is very often the case that when mom and dad walk with the Lord, their kids walk with the Lord. It's very often the case. Like even, and I've seen this for years at this church, and some of you this morning, like if you have a family, they tend to sit beside you in church, or at least be in the same building uh, when you're here at church. Like they... They come to church with you. And that is just because as a family, you tend to walk with the Lord. Now, when they grow up and become their own families, they got to figure out what they're going to do. But, but it is very often the case that most will choose to walk with the Lord, uh, led there by you. So this is a response very much in common with what we see here. But it is the belief that saves. Uh, there's another moment in scripture. There's this, um, this Ethiopian, this Ethiopian eunuch, as he's called. And uh, he wants to know the Lord. And so he's reading the Bible. Well, as he would have had it back then. He's reading the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, but he doesn't understand what he's reading. He's sitting in this chariot one day just trying to figure it out. And uh, the Lord comes to Philip. And uh, uh, he says, listen, Philip, there's this dude over here. He's reading the, Bible, uh, reading the scripture. He doesn't know what he's reading. Could you go stand next to him for a little bit, listen in, and then could you contribute to the conversation? Uh, that's my boiling down of what happened. And so uh, Philip's like, sure. So he walks over uh, to this Ethiopian who's sitting here uh, reading in this chariot. Uh, he listens to him, and he's like, oh, I know this passage. And he goes, hey, uh, do you know what you're reading? And the guy's like, oh, how can I, how can I know what I'm reading? The scripture's so confusing. Unless somebody explains it to me, I'll never know. And Philip's like, I know. And so Philip sits down, and this is what we see in Acts chapter 8. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. All right, so this is, again, a reflection of the point that, that even the eunuch knew 
When you put your faith in Jesus, when you understand this thing, then you get baptized. Those two go together. And having Philip explain everything to him about Jesus from the scriptures, he's like, I believe, and now that I believe, I should be baptized. So these two were always closely linked uh, in the early church. Uh, and so I think for us, should still be closely linked. Now, the Apostle Paul explained what baptism was. So if you go to Romans chapter 6, we'll put it up here for you. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. This is how Paul explained it. Do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So um, this is what we do with our baptism candidates. So all of our baptism candidates go through a class, by the way. To get baptized, you have to go through the class. And in the class, we review the gospel, what you're doing, what baptism's all about. So they hear it all. But one of the things we make an emphasis on is what we do with this. So this thing of going under the water, this is the picture with Romans 6. The, the idea is that when you go under the water, and you're finally, you're laying under the water, and the water covers your face, like, you can't breathe anywhere. That, that is a picture of death. You, you've stopped breathing. You're, you're laid down on something. Uh, it's like when you die, they're going to put you in a coffin. Your body will go in a coffin. You'll, you'll be laying there. You'll be laying flat. Um, that's the picture. Like when you're in the water, you're, you're flat out and it's a picture of death. But by God's grace and the kindness of our pastors, those who are being baptized are not left underwater. Uh, we bring you up out of the water, and then when you come up out of the water, you take your breath again. And the picture is that, like, now I'm stepping into that new life. Uh, and so the picture is an identification with Jesus in both his death and his resurrection. That's what baptism's all about. When you go under the water, it's a picture of death. You come back up, it's a picture of resurrection. So in that regard, baptism is a testimony. Baptism is a testimony. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 2.20. This is almost what everybody is saying when they get baptized. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's what baptism is supposed to be all about. Uh, and so this takes us back then to the idea that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. I started off talking today about the wedding that I went to and the idea that two people wear this after it's over, the wedding ring. The wedding ring is a combination of ownership and identity. It means very, in a very real sense that my wife owns me. Right? And she reminds me of that often. Uh, so my wife owns me and I own her. And our identity, uh, they're forever intertwined. That's what marriage is. And, and this is why when you walk around, you see people with this thing, you get it. You know, like somebody owns them. They are somebody else's. They're not available. You can't shop at that store, right? This is, they're owned by somebody else. Their identity is connected to somebody else. That's what this is all about. That's what baptism is supposed to be. Baptism is kind of a ceremony that depicts something, that we are now owned by someone else. Our identity is wrapped up in somebody else. Our identity is immersed in someone else. That's what baptism is supposed to be about. Now, there are a couple of other things that maybe we should review uh, just quickly, and I don't have time to go into these in depth, um, but here's some things people ask about baptism or also stuff you should know. One is you only need to be baptized one time, just, just once. Now, it has been the case from time to time where somebody will say to me, listen, I, I put my faith in Christ, I got saved, I got baptized, but I have gone so far from the Lord that I really feel like I need to be baptized again just as like a fresh start. 
Like, we, like we'll do, we will do that. I mean, it's not, it's not sinful for you to want to do that. I get it. Uh, but you don't need to. If you've genuinely been baptized as a response to faith once, uh, you're good. But uh, some choose otherwise. Uh, what about infants and children? Can infants and children be baptized? Okay, so infants, no. Can children be baptized? Mm, maybe the best way to talk about that is to explain the story with my own daughter, Callie. So Callie made her first profession of Christ when she was probably three years old. She understood, you know, as a three-year-old and gave her life to Jesus. Now, she made several professions over the course of her young life, which is normal, by the way, parents. If you've got kids, that's normal. Uh, they do that. Um, so uh, after doing a ceremony one day, a baptism ceremony, uh, Callie came to me and she said, Dad, I want to be baptized. And I said, okay. I said, why do you want to be baptized? And she made some sort of general comment like, well, you know, like I love God. And, uh, you know, I just want everybody at the church to know I love God. And so I want to do this thing. And so I looked in her little eyes and I said, no. And, uh, and she's like, I can't be baptized. I was like, no, you can't be baptized. And she said, why not? I said, you have no idea what it's about. And she's like, I know, I don't, you know. And so I said, no. So she said, well, then what's it about? And I said, well, that's, that's what we want. We want a teaching moment with our kids, right? So I said, all right, here's what it's about. I explained to her the Romans 6 idea in a, in a way that she could understand. I said, when we get baptized, we are identifying with Jesus in both his death and resurrection. We are saying to people that I have put my faith in Christ. He is the Lord of my life, and I am serving him for the rest of my days. I believe he is God's son who's come to save me. Like, that's, that's what we're doing in baptism. So she's like, all right, all right. So she's like, all right, having heard those things, I agree with all of those. Can I now be baptized? And I was like, no. And uh, she's like, I can't, I can't be baptized. I'm like, no. I was like, because I just told you all that. I said, the key is the next time we do a baptism service to see if you remember all this. And so I made her wait. Now, first of all, parents, there's nothing wrong with that. If your kids don't know, if they can't repeat, if they don't get what's going on, baptism was never intended to be a ceremony that makes you feel good about your kid. Baptism has always been about your child and their walk with Christ. Baptism is a one-on-one -on -one thing between you and Jesus. It is not about all those people that surround you. Now, we celebrate it with them, but it, unless it's their choice, it doesn't happen. So uh, the next baptism service came around, and my daughter came to me. She said, Dad, can I be baptized? <laughs> and I was like, why do you want to be baptized? And she's like, because I'm identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's my Lord, and I'm giving my life to him. And I was like, you can be baptized, you know, and then we baptized my daughter. So that's what it's all about. So can kids be baptized? Yes, if they can articulate what they're doing and why. So that's very important. Uh, and that's why we do the baptism class with our um, baptism candidates. It's very often the case that baptism candidates get saved during the baptism class. Uh, because as we'll be explaining what it's all about, they just know they want to connect with the Lord, but not all of them know that you have to come to this moment where you submit your life to him, you put your belief in him. And uh, that's what we try to explain. Um, all right, so that's uh, kind of that. Here's another one for me, just my own experience. I grew up in a church that baptized infants. And so when you were a kid in a church, you were already baptized. And so I got baptized as a kid, uh, but I didn't put my faith in Jesus till I was around 16 years old. And uh, I was involved in a church in my young 20s, and I was talking to the pastor one day, and he said, uh, were you, have you been baptized? When were you baptized? Uh, I said, oh, well, I was baptized as a kid. And he's like, well, I thought you came to know the Lord later in life. I was like, oh, yeah, when I was 16, I put my faith in Jesus. He's like... <laughs> how could you have been baptized before you actually put your faith in Jesus? And I was like, I don't know. That's <laughs> what the church did. And he's like, okay, that was not baptism. That was just you getting wet at church. Uh, like baptism is supposed to come after you put your faith in Jesus. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I, 
I did not know that. <laughs> so then I got baptized, not rebaptized. I got actually baptized uh, when I was in my 20s. And so uh, I think oftentimes that can be the case for uh, people in this congregation. In fact, one of the people that will get baptized, not today, but in a coming service, uh, that's her story as well. Um, and so baptism is, is for any who believe. Uh, any who believe that, that, that as the scripture talks about, that we are sinful people. We were born in sin. We have lived in sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that because we're sinful people, that the wages of these sin, what we, what we earn, what we deserve because of the sin is we deserve death. And it's not just physical death. It's an eternal death, a, an, an eternity in a conscious torment separated from God is what we deserve because of our sin. But it's not what God wants for us. What he really wants is for us to respond to this good news where we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And, and that means something, that, that we, we believe he's the son of God, that he's, he's come to this earth to rescue us. And we're just saying like, I, I, am, I am willingly submitting myself to you as my Lord. And I am, I'm gonna follow you. Like you're, you're in charge of my life. And then we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. The stuff that we see in the scripture, this is all, this is all real. And for those who take that step, they're the ones who step not just into salvation, uh, but ultimately will follow through uh, with the idea of being baptized, which these are going to do this morning. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray uh, right now, and then we will see four people be baptized in this service, and we had four in the first or second service today. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the great privilege of today, gathering together with these who have professed that Jesus Christ is their Lord that they believe that he is the son of God who came to life to this earth to save them, who've put their faith in him and now walk with him. Lord, we wanna celebrate with them today as they make this public profession that they have been crucified with Christ and that they no longer live, but this life they live now in this body, they live by faith in the son of God who loved them and gave himself for them. Lord, we celebrate with them in this moment in your holy name, amen. All right, first today, we're going to see Luke Hodson, who will be baptized. So Luke, if you'll step on up there. Luke gave his life to the Lord two years ago, and he had the opportunity to pray with his parents and his nana and papa. And he'll be baptized by his father. Joseph Walker. Uh, Joseph gave his life to the Lord through uh, Windshape Camp in 2019. He prayed with his camp counselor uh, and then also prayed with his parents uh, after that. Along with 
Joseph will be his brother Aaron. Aaron Walkup will be getting baptized today. He gave his life to the Lord here at Sand Hills when he was in second grade, and he was led to Christ by his small group leader back in Sand Kids. Danny Jackson. Uh, we first met Danny a couple months ago when we fixed her car at Sandhills. After fixing her car, she started coming to church here. And in coming to church here, she prayed and gave her life to Jesus and has since uh, plugged it right into the ministry so much so that she wants to follow through in obedience with baptism today. <laughs> 